Good morning. Uh, the scripture I'm reading today is from Mark 8, verse 18, 21 to 26. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the end and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. Well, it's so good to see all of you on this nice, hot weekend. Welcome to Lake Baldwin Church. We are in the midst of a series in the Gospel of Mark, and we come to this brief story about this man who was healed in Bethsaida. I wonder if you're familiar with Helen Keller. Helen Keller was born in 1886. What I didn't realize was that Helen Keller lived until 1968. And if you're not familiar with Helen Keller, when she was 19 months old, she had a very um, mysterious illness and she lost her sight and she lost her hearing. And uh, so you can just imagine what that would be like for her to grow up for the rest of her life deaf and blind. When she was, I think it was, yeah, at the age of seven, her parents arranged for a friend to work with her by the name of Ann Sullivan. And by the way, Helen Keller, when she grew up, went on to be an activist for people with disabilities. She uh, actually graduated from uh, Radcliffe, which was a part of Harvard back in those days, and was a prolific author and all of that. But what happened, at the age of seven, her parents arranged for her to have a friend, Anne Sullivan, to work with her to teach her to communicate. And so you can imagine what it's like to be a blind person, to learn, to begin to learn how to communicate. And there was this one moment it just, it was so frustrating and it took so long and there was this one turning point between Ann Sullivan and Helen Keller when uh, Ann Sullivan had, had Helen hold out her hand and she ran all this cold water on her hand and then she wrote out the words W-A-T-E-R and Helen Keller was able to recognize a word and that was her first step. And I want to read to you Helen Keller's description in her autobiography when she looks back, looked back on that moment. And imagine what it's like to not be able to see, but then be to begin to have a world opened up to you. Helen Keller said this, I stood still, my whole attention fixed upon the motions of her fingers. Suddenly I felt a misty consciousness as of something forgotten. 
a thrill of returning thought. And somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. The living word awakened my soul, gave it light, hope, and set it free. Well, the story today is a story of a blind man in Bethsaida, which is one of those towns around Galilee. And the similarity between this man and Helen Keller, Helen Keller was that he too was blind. He too could not see. And he has this, this encounter with Jesus. And I don't know whether you noticed it when Raphael was reading the story, but I want you to notice a few features of this story. If you'll take a look at it briefly, back in Mark chapter 2, 822, I want you to notice three features in this story, and then we'll go to our three-point outline. It says, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. So he couldn't see, but his friends played a significant role in his life. I think it's really a beautiful thought here that these friends were like Ann Sullivan. They cared enough about him to bring him to Jesus and to plead for his sight. The second thing that we see in this passage, though, is really remarkable. It's the touch of Jesus. Look at this passage again. Look at the places where we see the touch of Jesus. Verse 23, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? In the same way that Ann Sullivan took the hand of Helen Keller, this was Jesus, the King, the Son of God, taking the hand of this blind man and leading him outside of the city. And notice it says that Jesus spit on his eyes. He put his spit on the man's eyes and laid his hands on him. You can just picture Jesus putting his hands on this man's eyes so that he could see. So you see that it was, there was this, it was tactile. It was something that could be felt. But then the third feature of this passage, which is interesting, is not only the friends and not only the touch of Jesus, but also this, did you notice the two-stage healing in this story? Verse 24, after Jesus asks him, do you see anything? Look at what the man says. It says, and he looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees walking. Only a partial healing so far. But look at verse 25, then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So there was this two-stage healing. So in a minute, we're going to talk about what that two-stage healing was all about. Now, why, why does Mark include this story in his gospel? What's the function of this miracle in the gospels? You, go, you read through the gospels. Uh, some of you have read through the gospels many times. And for others of you, this might be the first time to actually look at the story of Jesus in the gospels. And it's good to under, ask the question, why was this miracle here? And I want to give you two reasons, two purposes for this miracle. The first thing about this miracle is it reveals Jesus as, as the Messiah, God's only anointed king. Now that's very significant because all of these miracles in the Gospel of Mark 
Jesus is revealing himself as the Messiah. So for all of us in this room, when we read these stories, what we are to get from this is we need to recognize who Jesus is and why he came. That's the purpose of his story. And one of the things you see is that these actions of Jesus with the blind man at Bethsaida were a fulfillment of the promise of Messiah. So on the inside front page of your bulletin, you see this passage from Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, which says, then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. That's what's gonna happen uh, when the Messiah comes. People would be able to see again. That's the first purpose of this story in the Gospel of Mark, but there's a second purpose, and that is to teach the disciples about spiritual blindness. In fact, to teach the disciples and to teach us about spiritual blindness. Now, why would we say that this passage has a lesson for all of us about spiritual blindness? Well, the clue, if you look up at verse 21 again, in your bulletin, look at verse 21. Jesus said, and he said to them, do you not yet understand? And then you have this story. In fact, earlier in the passage we have read in verse 18, having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? So. Really, this is a story not just about the healing of a physically blind man, but it's also a story for all of us about spiritual blindness. In fact, in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, there's a story of another healing of a blind man. And Jesus in that story is explicit when he's talking with the religious leaders who have rejected him. And he's basically saying to them, because they're wondering, well, can we see? Jesus says, no, you think you can see, but you cannot see. They have spiritual, the Pharisees, they could see with their physical eyes, but they had a spiritual blindness. What I'd like to do this morning for us, because there will be application for all of us in this passage, I want to talk, I want to talk about three things related to spiritual blindness. Number one, what is spiritual blindness? Number two, what is the cure for spiritual blindness? And number three, what do we see about Jesus in this passage? So first of all, what is spiritual blindness? And here's what we're gonna say. What we mean by spiritual blindness, it is a, it's, it, blindness is the inability to see. Spiritual blindness is the inability to understand what Jesus is saying. It is the inability to understand. Remember, Jesus said to his disciples, do you not yet understand? Spiritual blindness is a lack of understanding. You know, when I was uh, in a previous job years ago, I used to do some work in Germany, and I would work with, with German Christians. And if you know anything about Europe, on that continent, in many countries, it'd be something like 3% of the population goes to church. A country, a, a continent has this wonderful Christian heritage, but in many ways they've gotten away from it. And I remember gathering with some, some German Christians, and we talked about the topic of spiritual blindness. And here's what we discussed. We, the, we talked about how the Apostle Paul expanded on this topic of spiritual blindness in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
And what Paul said there was, he says, if our gospel, that is the good news of the gospel, if it's veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And so you have this idea of a veil over our eyes. That's how Paul describes spiritual blindness. Then he goes on to say that the God of this world has blinded the hearts of those who do not believe. See, that's what spiritual blindness is. That's what's happening with spiritual blindness. People have a veil over their hearts and they're blind and they cannot see. And so we identified the problem in Europe or the problem in Germany as I was talking with these Germans was not just a lack of information or a lack of knowledge, but there was a spiritual issue of the heart and that is the issue of spiritual blindness. We have spiritual blindness here in our, in, our, uh, in our country and people around us. Tonight, Bruce referred to the Independence Day Bash. There will be 10,000 people there from all over the city. We're gonna be giving out water, face painting, cornhole. And the purpose of that, though, is to build a bridge of relationship and connection with people so that one day they could hear the gospel, one day they could be set free from spiritual blindness because we're gonna meet a lot of people tonight that are spiritually blind. The issue of spiritual blindness is so interesting. I have a, my brother, some of you might recall I've talked about my brother Ray. Ray moved here several years ago from California. Uh, Ray and I have been very close for years, but he's not yet a believer, but since he came here, he's been exploring Christianity for the first time. And he's older than I am, he's lived his whole life without Jesus, and so it's very difficult for him. He's got in his mind all these misconceptions. For example, he has all these misconceptions about the church and all kinds of things. But deep down inside, as he's gotten around this community and as he's gotten to know people and he's heard the gospel, gradually his heart has become open. And he's not there yet. But I recognize that the issue in my brother's heart when it comes to believing in Jesus Christ is an issue of spiritual blindness. The God of this world has blinded the hearts of those who do not believe. There is a veil there, and the issue is more than intellectual. It's a spiritual issue. That is why during the month of August, August 1st through August 31, when we have our August prayer initiative as a church, we invite all of you to sign up for that, send an email to hello at lakebaldwinchurch.com, one of the things we will do during the first week is we will pray for the spiritual condition of people who are lost without Christ, who do not know Christ. And the answer, again, is not intellectual. It's not persuasion. It's not coercion. It is a spiritual issue. So we will pray for them that the veil would be lifted from their hearts so that they would be set free from their spiritual blindness, so that they would come to believe in Christ and come to believe the gospel. You know, uh, there's another, uh, I want to say a word to those of you that are believers in Christ today. I was referring to the fact that even becoming a Christian requires being set free from spiritual blindness. But Christians themselves struggle with a lack of understanding and a lack of a knowledge of Jesus. So we're all on this journey where we need to grow in our faith. There's an interesting verse in Ephesians chapter one where Paul is praying for Christians and he says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts might be enlightened so that you would know God better. So the Christian life, the life of discipleship, the, the life of following Jesus 
is a life of growing understanding of who Jesus is and what his purposes are. Tell you a little story about Bart Johnson. This is just my way of getting Bart Johnson's attention here, although he pays attention to sermons quite well. But since Bart Johnson describes in his life, as he looks back over his life, he says, he says, I have had three conversions. Three conversions, in other words, three spiritual turning points in his life. And it just illustrates this idea that God continues to open up our eyes as we follow Christ. He enlightens our heart. So Bart would say, well, my first conversion was when I came to believe in Christ. He came to believe the gospel. God lifted the blindness from his heart, and Bart put his faith in Christ. His sins were forgiven. He became a Christian. That was a turning point in his life. But he says, there was a second conversion in my life. Bart would say the second conversion is what he calls a conversion to what he refers to as Reformed theology. Now, if you've never heard that term, don't worry about it, but it refers to basically the theology of the Reformation in the 1500s with Martin Luther and John Calvin, because that was a supernova of light. The Christian church had fallen into sort of a medieval darkness with a lot of misunderstanding about Jesus. And so when the gospel was proclaimed brightly and in, in all its brilliance, there was a recovery of some amazingly great truths like the fact that we're justified by faith, not by works. That God knew us before we ever knew him. There are all these things. The idea of viewing the scripture as one whole book, one whole covenant of God's relationship with mankind. And so Bart Johnson would say that as he grew in his faith, there were certain truths that became a treasure to him, and he describes it as a second conversion. And then Bart says there was a third conversion that he went through, and it was a conversion to thinking like a global Christian. You heard Bruce Wilson talk about our global missions team and how we have a concern for sharing the gospel, partnering with the church around the world to bring the gospel to the nations. And so Bart Johnson one day realized that God is a global God and has a heart for the nations. And so part of Christian discipleship is growing so that we understand God better, but we understand God's heart for the whole world. But Bart's life illustrates how we go through these series of epiphanies where as we grow in our faith, we learn things. And so that's really our hope for you in this church, that not only that you would know Christ, but that you always, would always grow in your faith. But spiritual blindness or spiritual lack of understanding, that's the first thing we're talking about today. But let me go on to the second point. I want to talk about the cure for spiritual blindness, because I've hinted at it, but I want to be very explicit about the cure for spiritual blindness. And let me tell you what it is. The cure for spiritual blindness is that God needs to reveal himself to us. God needs to reveal himself to us, and then we have a, we have a part in that. Our part is to exercise faith and to trust the promises of God's word. But that's how spiritual blindness is cured. You remember Ann Sullivan? There was this, this, the fact that she uh, would touch the hand of Helen Keller, and there was a water, and would spell out the word. What Ann Sullivan was doing was she was entering into the world of Helen Keller. She knew that Helen Keller could not see and could not hear, but she could touch. And so she did these tactile things 
to enter into her world. So in our story, did you notice that about Jesus? Again, we talked about it. He took the man by the hand and he led him outside of town. Jesus put spit, saliva on his eyes and he touched the man's eye because what we're seeing here is that Jesus is entering this man's world in order to set him free from his blindness. And that's what's happening, that's what, that's what God has done in Christ in the incarnation. You see, God looked at the whole world and he realized that all of us were spiritually blind, but that in order to see him, has there ever been a time when God put on flesh, where he became one of us, where the Bible talks about that, and we refer to that as the incarnation, that God became a man, God revealed himself to us in Christ and in the incarnation. And so this is the, this is the message of the gospel. Remember I said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that Paul said that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that none of us are, are naturally believers in Christ. We're all born in darkness. We're all born blind. And we all have that veil over our hearts and minds. But then Paul says something very interesting. He says that God, God, the same God who said, let there be light at the creation, has shown the light of the knowledge of Christ through the gospel into our hearts. And so what we need as Christians, we know that God has become a man in Jesus Christ, that's the incarnation, and what we need is for God to reveal himself to our hearts. We need him to, for that, the light of the gospel to shine on our hearts. So that is why in our church, we believe that the gospel, we say that it's good news for the lost, meaning it's good news for those that are blind because it announces to them the reality of something that they cannot see. So when we preach the gospel, we are grabbing people by the hand and we're spelling out the word for them. We're giving them that experience of Jesus Christ and that's how people come to faith. So really, the way the blindness is, li is lifted in your heart is that God has given us the Holy Spirit. If you've ever felt the conviction of sin, the Holy Spirit helps reveal to you that you're a sinner in need of a savior, and then the Holy Spirit reveals the gospel, reveals Christ to your heart, and that's how you become a Christian, and that's how you believe in Christ. I wanna illustrate this with a, a, a recent story of a friend of mine about how people come to Christ and how God reveals himself. I met with an individual, we used to have lunch together, and we used to talk about the gospel. He invited me to meet with him just to mentor him and to talk. His starting point with Christianity is that in his home, he was taught that religion was evil, that religion was about control, and that was his starting point. That's what he was taught. But now he was curious, and he was having all these misconceptions removed. And so we would meet week after week, and we discussed a book called Basic Christianity by John Stott. And I want to tell you what happens in that book. In that book, John Stott says, first of all, he clarifies that the Bible is authoritative. Why can we trust the Bible? And then he goes on to say who Jesus Christ is as revealed in the Bible, and then he talks about why we actually need Jesus, and he talks about the fact that we have a sin problem that only Jesus can cure, 
And then he goes on to explain why Jesus died on the cross and why he rose from the dead. So you can just imagine my friend going through this. His starting point was way over here. Religion is evil. And then he comes to find out that the Bible can be trusted that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, that he was both God and man. And then he, then he has it revealed to him that he's a sinner in need of a savior. And then the cross is explained, the work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection. So what's happening here is the gospel is breaking through the darkness of the heart. The gospel is lifting the veil from his heart. And one day, my friend, it wasn't an emotional experience, it was not an ecstatic experience, but one day we met together and he said, this morning I committed my life to Christ. What was that? That was God opening up his heart through the gospel. You guys, that is the cure for spiritual blindness through the power of the gospel. That happens by faith. I want to make a comment about faith because there are a lot of misconceptions about the word faith and what's involved. We say that the cure for blindness is that God reveals himself through the gospel and our part is to actually believe in the gospel and is to trust God's word. I want to share this illustration with you that helps make sense to me about what faith really is because faith is not a blind leap. We're trusting what God has revealed. Yesterday morning I was sitting around with my iPad and I had heard that Paul McCartney had sung at Glastonbury 2022, the annual outdoor music festival in the United Kingdom. And I had also heard that there were other, other guys like uh, Dave Grohl, who was with uh, Foo Fighters, and also Bruce Springsteen played with Paul McCartney. And at, at Glastonbury this year, it was the largest crowd that they had had here since Dolly Parton. Now, I don't have any idea why Dolly Parton drew such a big crowd at Glastonbury, but here's Paul McCartney up there. And I thought, I, I can't be at Glastonbury, but I want to see it. I want to be a part of that. So I opened up, and I go to YouTube, and I search for it, and there I was. And suddenly, on my iPad, I'm watching Paul McCartney and Dave Grohl and uh, Bruce Springsteen, and I'm watching this concert and the crowds in Glastonbury, and it's, it's as if I'm there. Now, that is just such a miracle. How does that happen? Well, we have this, this thing, we have the internet coming into our house, we have a Wi-Fi router, we have a password to get into Wi-Fi, and my iPad is hooked up to that, and, I'm, and suddenly I'm able to see something I can't see. Now, all that stuff exists out there, it's there, but I needed to be able to see it. I needed to have a router, and then I needed to have a password for my iPad. Now, Mike, why are you telling this story apart from just Talking about, talking about Paul McCartney. Well, it's, it's, you guys, it is amazing that the Bible that you have in your hand is like Helen Keller writing these words for you. The Bible tells you of a world that you cannot see. The Bible, in, in effect, tells you about truth. It tells you about reality. It is not a make-believe world. Your Bible is telling you about a world that actually exists but you cannot see it. So that Bible is your Wi-Fi router. It tells you of truths that you, cannot, that you cannot see. We're looking at this story. We can't see it, but the Bible is telling us about Jesus. It's telling us that he is the king. We cannot see it, but the word of God is telling us about that. 
that is our Wi-Fi router. And the password is F-A-I-T-H. It is faith. When we read God's word, we believe God's word, we trust God's word, but that faith is only as valid as its object. It's not make-believe. It's not working up the faith, but it's trusting God and it is taking God at his word. You guys, that is how you grow in the Christian life. It's how you become a Christian and that's how we can see by trusting in God's word. It's an amazing thing. That's how he cures our spiritual blindness. Now let's go on to our third point here. We've talked about, first of all, what is spiritual blindness? Second, what is the cure for spiritual blindness? And then what do we need to see about Jesus? Now look back at our passage in Mark chapter eight. The question that Jesus asked in in verse 23, he says to the man after laying his hands on him, he says to him, do you see anything? Do you see anything? So this is the part, you guys, that applies to Christian discipleship and following Jesus. So I'm talking right now to everyone in the room, but especially to those of you that are believers in Christ. I'm talking to you about the process of growth in your faith, because this is a discipleship passage. Jesus has a message for the disciples and a message for us. In Proverbs chapter four and verse 18, Proverbs 4, 18, it says this. It says that the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which grows brighter and brighter till the full day. The path of the righteous. And so the Christian life really is a life of getting to know God better. I talked about Bart and his three conversions. That's what that's talking about. Proverbs talks about that. It's the, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which goes, grows brighter and brighter until the full day. And it's very much like the two-stage healing in this passage. Now, Mike, how can you say that about this two-stage healing? What is, what is going on here? You think about it for a second. What's going on is that Jesus, by healing the blind man at Bethsaida, is sending a message to his disciples. He says, do you not see, do you not understand? But he's giving them hope that they, have, they can see partially, but they cannot see at all. And that is the great messianic secret of the Gospel of Mark, that the disciples continually seem clueless, just like we are. And we need God to reveal more of himself to us, and that's what Jesus is doing to them. You're gonna see next week, the very next several verses, a conversation that Jesus has with Peter. And Peter says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. He says, you're the Messiah. So he gets that part. And so this crown part that you see over here, we're gonna see that that is the, <clears throat> that is the first heal. It's like Peter can say, I see men like trees walking. It is a, it is a partially, partial opening of Peter's eyes that he recognizes that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the Messiah. God's only anointed king. But in the next several verses, Jesus lets his disciples know, he says, it is necessary for me to suffer and die on the cross. And Peter says, no way, no way are we gonna let you do that. We don't expect our Messiah to go to the cross and to, to die. And so Peter is only partially seeing, he's seen the crown, but he's not seeing the cross. And so part of what's going on in the Gospel of Mark is helping the disciples go through these epiphanies where they see Christ as a Messiah, but they also understand the meaning of the cross, and we're gonna talk a little bit more about that next week. 
You know, as you think about this idea of spiritual blindness and you think about how God is gradually opening our eyes, uh, we, we sang Amazing Grace this morning. There's another hymn where I've got a quote in your bulletin that I want to share with you that, it's, that describes, remember Helen Keller looked back on this experience that she had and she describes it so beautifully. And people have written about this experience of how God has opened up our eyes so that we can see. George Wade Robinson wrote a hymn called Love with an Everlasting Love, and this quote is in your bulletin there. But listen to these words. This is our, if you will, our uh, Helen Keller and Sullivan experience when our eyes are open to be able to see Jesus. It says, heaven above is softer blue, earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue that Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs o'erflow, flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his and he is mine. It's a beautiful experience, and so I close with this challenge. I close with this. If you're here this morning, and you can identify with that spiritual blindness that I described, where you go, I just can't see it. I have an invitation for you. The Bible says that for anyone who turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And it's as simple as that. You turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away and you can put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can believe the gospel in that moment. You can trust, you can put your faith in God's word. So if you're here today and you've never taken that step, you've never put your faith in Christ, you don't need to make more of it than it really is. It is a simple step of turning to the Lord and putting your faith in Christ and his gospel. If you're a Christian this morning, you need to know that the Christian life is one of growth. It's one of your entire lifetime getting to know Jesus better, learning about the crown, learning about the cross, having him open your eyes, going through these epiphanies and these conversions because the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which grows brighter and brighter until the full day. Would you pray with me? We've talked this morning, Lord, about the spiritual blindness that has come upon mankind, whether Germany or here or everywhere around the world. Lord, we recognize how much we need for you by your Holy Spirit to reveal to us our need for a Savior, to reveal to us who Jesus is. So would you do that? this morning. Lord, would you encourage those in this congregation who, even as believers in Christ, have been walking in darkness, would you lead them to follow you, to realize that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Grant us grace to grow, to love you, to get to know you better. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.